Hello, church family and all of you out on Facebook. Things have changed a little bit for us here this last week or so, and hopefully these changes are temporary and that things are back to normal soon. But you know, during this time, we all tend to maybe look to the negative side of things. and We think about quarantines and we think about disease and we only look to the negative. But I want to share with you before we get started on today's sermon, I want to share with you an article that I came across on Facebook that was posted by a guy named Brad Harub. Brad writes the following. The coronavirus is poised to do some things to Christians that years of articles, sermons, blogs, and podcasts have failed to do. As a result of the virus and resulting from quarantine, we may find ourselves forced to, number one, spend more time together as families at home and stop running the rat race. Number two, focus on our older generation and making sure they're well cared for during this time. Number three, it may well cause us to close our buildings on Sunday mornings and focus us to learn on how to worship at home. And it may help us reevaluate pouring all of our resources into buildings and grounds rather than evangelism and missions. Number four, pray more fervently. Number five, we may find ourselves craving Christian fellowship and not taking it for granted. Number six, focus our minds on what's truly important in this life. Number seven, with more time on their hands and less events to go to, people may open their Bibles or religious books, relying less on the 30-minute sermon to be their only spiritual nourishment. Number eight, we might find ourselves calling and checking on members more often, treating each other more like a true Christian family. Number nine, not let things like March Madness become a form of idolatry in our lives. Number 10, Christians might discover ways to truly be a light in their community as people start needing things and needing care. And number 11, we might be more willing to talk about Jesus and eternity. I'm sure there are more, Brad writes. Yes, there are negative things about a pandemic, but for the Christian, Things like this just remind us that this world is not our home. Maybe, just maybe, this whole thing will draw people more closer to God. Like I said at the beginning, hopefully we'll be back together worshiping soon. But just because we aren't worshiping as a group doesn't mean the business of the church stops. There's still people to serve. There's still people we need to be good examples to. We need to show the world that yeah, we might be concerned about the physical things, but we have hope and the eternal promises of God. So at the end of the day, does the Christian have to be devastated by this? Absolutely not. As we begin our sermon, I want to apologize to you. Recording without somebody being in front of me is a new experience. So this may be a little bit awkward at times, maybe not any more awkward than normal, but it's a little bit awkward for me talking to a computer screen instead of a group of my brothers and sisters. We're going to conclude our sermon series that we started earlier this year. We've been preaching about becoming, having 2020 spiritual vision in the year 2020. And in order for us to have 2020 spiritual vision, we have to know what we believe and in whom we believe. So we've been looking at the Newsboy song called We Believe, and we've been looking at the course of that song as our sermon titles. And I'm going to post a link to the song so that you can pull it up and listen to it at home. But the chorus goes like this. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. 
We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again. We believe. We started off talking about our belief in God the Father. We looked at his various names in Scripture, and we looked at certain attributes about God's character. And we looked at the story of the prodigal son. And we said that when we make the decision to go to God, he runs to us. Praise God for God the Father in whom we believe. Then we talked about our belief in Jesus Christ. We looked at the conversation where Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he made it a little more personal. Who do you say that I am? He asked us that question as well. And our response to that question determines where we will be for eternity. We next talked about our belief in the Holy Spirit, and we concluded the Holy Spirit is a personal being, a member of the Godhead with the full authority of God, and that same Spirit dwells in us as Christians when we listen to him in our lives and in our hearts. We'll begin doing things we never thought possible. We'll be changed, and we'll be blessed. We then talked about our belief in this new life Christ has given us. This new life transforms us. It changes our perspective, and it is a blessing to walk with Christ in this world. Last time, we, we then talked about our belief in the crucifixion. It was a horrific death that Jesus suffered for us. You see, God sent him to this earth to die. He prepared him to die. And for our sins, Jesus was sacrificed. Through his sacrifice, we have eternal life. We believe in the crucifixion. And last time we talked about our belief in the, in the resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the grave. If he didn't do that, then none of what we're doing would matter. But the evidence is irrefutable. He arose from death. His resurrection changes us in so many ways. And most importantly, it gives our lives purpose and gives us an eternal life. And today, we're going to conclude this series by talking about the victory we have through Jesus. As the song says, we believe that he conquered death, and he's coming back again. Praise God for that. It had been a long flight, and the crew was very tired. And it was made even worse by a rough landing. And this particular airline had a policy that the pilot would have to stand by the door and greet people as they exited the aircraft. The pilot was dreading this this day because he knew the flight was bad. He knew the landing was even worse. But he did his job, and he faithfully stood there to greet the passengers as they left. As the people got off the plane, no one said a word except for the last passenger, an elderly lady walking with a cane. As she got up to the pilot, she said, Can I ask you a question? Sure, he said. Did we land or were we shot down? Maybe you've been on some flights like that. I'm sure to the disciples, to those closest to Jesus, Friday and Saturday must have felt like that. They felt like they were shot down. All that promise, all that hope, suddenly dashed, gone. Suddenly they were in fear for their very lives. What would they do next now that Jesus was dead? And then to awake... Awaken on that Sunday morning, 
Imagine yourself in that scene. Someone you love has died. You've, you know they've been buried, and now a day or two later you go out to visit their grave and their body is no longer there. Like Mary, you'd be upset. Haven't they done enough to him already? Haven't they done enough to us already? And now they further taunt us by stealing his body. And then when you're about as low as you could get, you turn around, and there Jesus is standing right beside of you, very much alive, right before your eyes. You would be feeling excitement like no other. Forget about all the questions. Forget about all the doubts, because here he is in the flesh, and he is alive. And guess what? The Pharisees who thought they'd won the religious leaders who thought they'd gained the victory would now be laughing out the other side of their faces because they hadn't won a thing. Let the celebration begin. Let the fireworks show begin. Let the sirens scream. Start the party. Break out the cold drinks and the chips and salsa because Christ wins. We believe he defeated death. And we see here this described. As a public spectacle, Christ had won the victory over the powers and the authorities. Colossians 2.15, Paul writes, And after and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is a very interesting picture that Paul's painting for us here in this verse, and it has to do with the idea of a public spectacle. Has anybody out there listening to me ever made a public spectacle of themselves? I can assure you I have. And I can assure you, church family, many of you have as well because I've been there for it. <laughs> we make public spectacles of ourselves at times. There was a church with a sound system that could be heard outside of the building. They were in a downtown location where uh, a lot of people walked by on foot. And during revivals and special events, they could flip a switch and the stuff going on inside the building could be heard plain as day outside of the building. One Saturday morning, a man from the church got a phone call from the police. And he said, you better get down to your church, something's going on. Apparently some of the women were there decorating for a baby shower and they didn't know the sound system was on and they didn't know the switch to the outside had been turned on and they were just singing their hearts out as they prepared for this party. But apparently the singing wasn't that good. Everyone on Main Street heard their singing. That caused somebody to call 911 thinking something terrible was going on inside the building. Now that church, that, friends, is a public spectacle. A public spectacle is the picture Paul is painting for us when he talks about what Jesus did through his resurrection to the powers and to the authorities. You see, in those days, Roman, the Romans would go off to fight their enemies, and most often it would be a group that tried to rebel against them. And when they conquered that enemy, like they almost always did, they would bind the folks' hands together and they would put them in a single file line and they'd have this big celebration. And the celebration would begin with a parade. And at the front of the parade would be the general who'd conquered this group of people. And following the general would be all the officers that had helped him. And behind the officers would be all the soldiers who acted so heroically in the battle. And then behind the soldiers would be all the people who had been conquered. 
and those people would be paraded around while the bystanders would insult them and throw things at them and spit on them. You didn't want to be a main attraction in a parade like that. That was called a public spectacle. So on one side, after the resurrection, you'd have the powers and authorities beginning with Satan himself and all the demons and all those governments and earthly powers who'd align themselves against Christ. And on the other side, you would have Christ, the conquering general, who leads his army of faithful down the street. My question to you is, which side do you choose? Do you choose the winners or the losers? If you're in the army of Christ, guess what? You've won. Because Jesus disarmed the powers of the authorities when he went to the cross and when he arose on that third day. Not only does this mean he's more powerful than any earthly kingdom, but he's more powerful than any other religion or philosophy. His victory is a public spectacle showing all those who fought against him. He wins. And his victory continues. You know, most victories are fleeting. Who can tell me out there who won the Super Bowl this year? Well, probably a lot of people can tell you it was the Kansas City Chiefs. My dad can certainly tell you that. That was his team. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Who can tell me who won last year? I think it was the Patriots. Who can tell me who won the Super Bowl in 1981? That's a little harder, isn't it? You can go to Google and find out who won in 1981, which is what I did. And it was the Raiders. What's my point? We forget about most victories after a certain period of time. You see, most victories are fleeting. But church, the victory of Jesus is different. The victory of Jesus is a victory that continues and will continue for all time. A Muslim man became a Christian in Africa. And some of his friends asked him, why did you become a Christian? He said, well, it's like this. Suppose you're going down the road and suddenly you see a fork in the road. And now you have to choose one of two directions. Suppose there at one fork, you see a man who's very much alive. And at the beginning of the other fork, you see another man who's dead. Which road would you choose? And that is a great question, church. When we choose Christ, we choose the winning. We choose the living. We choose the one, the only one, who's victorious over death. Max Licato writes the following in his book called The Movement Continues. He says, The belief of the French philosopher Voltaire is that the Bible and Christianity will pass away within a hundred years. The French philosopher died in 1778. The movement of Christ continues. The pronouncement of Friedrich Nietzsche in 1882, he said, God is dead. The dawn of science will be the dawn or will be the freedom of faith. But science has dawned. The movement of Christ continues. The Communist Dictionary defines the Bible as a collection of fantastic legends without any scientific support. Communism is diminishing. The movement of Christ continues. 
This is the discovery made by every person who has ever tried to bury Jesus Christ. The same discovery made by those who tried to bury Jesus' body himself. He just won't stay in the grave. He just won't stay in the tomb because he is victorious and the movement of Christ continues. And the movement of Christ has never been stronger than it is today. Sure, we hear all kinds of bad stories and we look at numbers of churches and we look at faiths that are diminishing. But you know what? Today there are over 2 billion people who say they're followers of Jesus Christ. The movement of Christ continues and it will continue. Jesus told Peter, and he told all of us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus' resurrection has brought a victory unlike, every, unlike any other victory that ever happened before or any other victory that will ever happen again. No matter what happens, folks, the church is not going to go out of business. The church is not going to close down. We are on the winning team. Why? Because he won the victory over death. Most victories are fleeting. This one continues. And this victory is not a victory just to be celebrated a week or so after the Super Bowl or after the night after you've won the big game. This is a daily celebration. Jesus' victory over death gives you and me a reason to celebrate every single day. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 58, Paul writes the following. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we, we see that Jesus' victory over death in the grave brings victory to daily life. Some days it feels like there's no reason to celebrate. Some days we get bad news. Some days life throws us curveballs. No matter how bad your day is, guess what? Jesus has given you a reason to celebrate if you belong to him. Several years ago, the Saturday Evening Post ran a cartoon about a man that had to be rescued after he'd been shipwrecked on a deserted island for several weeks. And the sailor in charge of the rescue team stepped onto the beach and he handed the man a stack of newspapers and he said, compliments of the captain. He would like for you to glance at these headlines to see if you'd still like to be rescued. <laughs> I don't know about you, but sometimes a deserted island doesn't sound all that bad when you think about the stuff that goes on in our world. Sometimes the headlines do scare us. Sometimes we feel like evil is winning. But then we have to remember the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus and what he has done for us who are Christians reminds us there's no grave deep enough. There's no seal strong enough. There's no virus deadly enough. No stone heavy enough. No evil strong enough 
to keep Christ in the grave. And because of that, church, we win. If that's not a reason to have a celebration every day, I don't know what is. The question is, what are you doing with this victory? Are you enjoying it? Are you celebrating it? Do others around you see it? Can they feel it through you? Do they know it because of you? Or do you fall victim to the joy robbers who, out, who are out there trying to show you or, or get you to believe that this world is all there is to offer? Church, this victory through Jesus is a great thing. Why don't we live like it daily? Are you celebrating it? Or do you spend your time moping, pouting, longing for the good old days or wishing things were different? Do you carry around a long face and look miserable? Or are you appreciative and thankful for the victory Christ gives you over death? How does peace sound to you? Sounds pretty good to me. What about eternal life? How does that strike you? How does never having to worry about death make you feel? How about living somewhere where there's no sadness, no despair, no disease, no pain, no phone calls that have devastating news on the other end, no doctor's visits where terrible diagnoses are given? How does that sound to you? How do the words forgiveness and grace sound? Church, there are so many more reasons to celebrate than there are to be long-faced and sad. Christ has won. And so have we. We need to let our faces reflect that. We need to let those around us know that. The victory of Jesus should affect us positively every day. It should thrill us. It should uplift us. It should make us the happiest people on this earth because the greatest enemy we have, Satan, and the greatest fear we have, death, have all been defeated, wiped out. And because of that... We're victorious. So today, when you're home with your family, staying away from the crowds, staying away from the rat race, remember you've won. Talk with your family about that today. And when this period lifts, when, lives, when our lives go back to normal, come up with a plan about how you're going to communicate with other people who don't know about this victory. Come up with a plan to be witness to them, to testify to them about the victory you have through Jesus. Because through that church, that's how we're going to change the world. A Christian is never going to change the world by being sad and negative and hateful. No, the only way the Christians are going to change the world is by recognizing the value we have in the victory Christ has given us and teaching the world about that victory. Showing the world his love. Showing people they can be saved. Let's make sure people see this victory in us. Let them realize that, yeah, things are sad. We're all concerned. But we have nothing to fear because our Savior has already led us to victory. We have won because he has won. Sheriff Jerry Moore got a disturbing phone call one afternoon. His six-year-old grandson, Mikey, had been hit by a car while he was fishing with his dad. The father and son were fishing near a bridge by the river 
when a woman lost control of her car, slid off the bridge, and hit Mikey going at about 50 miles an hour. Sheriff Marr had seen a lot of accidents similar to this over his career, and he feared the worst. When he got to the hospital, he rushed through the emergency room, and he found Mikey conscious and in pretty good condition. He was in pretty good spirits considering what had just happened to him, and he said, Mikey, what happened? Well, Mikey replied, Gramps, I was fishing with my dad, and some lady run me over. I flew into a muddy puddle. I broke my fishing pole, and I didn't get to catch any fish. As it turned out, the impact propelled Mikey about 500 feet over a few trees, and he landed in a mud puddle and an embankment. His only injuries were to his right femur, which had broken in two places, and Mikey was going to have to have surgery to have pins put in place. But otherwise, the boy was completely fine. All he could talk about was the fact that his fishing pole had been broken. So while Mikey was in surgery, Sheriff Marr went out to the store and he bought a brand new fishing pole. And when Mikey woke up, his new fishing pole was waiting there for him. The next day, Sheriff Marr sat with Mikey and helped keep him company in the hospital. And Mikey was enjoying his new fishing pole. He kept casting it into the trash can, reeling it up and casting it again. And out of the blue, Mikey looked at Sheriff Marr and he said, Gramps, do you know Jesus is real? Well, the sheriff replied. He was a little startled. He said, well, Mikey, I know for those who believe in Jesus, he's real. No, said Mikey, I mean Jesus is really real. What do you mean, asked the sheriff. I know he's real, Gramps, because I saw him. You did, asked Sheriff Marr. Yep, said Mikey. When that lady runned me over and broke my fishing pole, Jesus caught me in his arms, and he laid me down in the mud puddle. Church, I don't know about you, but my Jesus is alive. I got to tell you, I've never physically seen him before my eyes. But I've felt the presence of his Holy Spirit catching me. I've felt his presence in my life guiding me, giving me words, leading me into situations and helping me through them, safely delivering me, giving me his peace. Because our God is real. Jesus is real. His spirit that dwells in us as believers is real. And because he is alive, whole governments will fall. Whole religions will be forgotten. And little children will be caught in his arms because we win. The question you have to ask yourself today, have I won? Have I chosen the winning team? Am I on Jesus' team or am I still living for the world? You know, it all starts with coming to Jesus and being baptized into him to have your sins washed away forever knowing you have an eternal home. Yeah, you'll still mess up. You'll still need his blood to continually cleanse you. But when you're baptized into Jesus, that blood's there for you. And as long as you remain faithful, you have an eternal home in heaven forever. Do you want that? You know, if you've never taken that step, the Church of Hurricane would love to help you with that. Send us a private message. Call us. Email us. Our contact information is on our website. Send us a private message on Facebook. If you are a Christian, but you're struggling today, you've forgotten what it feels like to be a winner because the world's told you you're a loser. 
if you've, if you've been caught up in that and you've lost your way, we learned at the very beginning of this series, when we make the decision to run to God, to come to God, he runs to us. Come back home to him. If you need help with that, if you want the prayers of the church, drop us a line, call us, send us an email. We're here for you. Our church doesn't exist just to get dressed up, get together, and go out to lunch when services are over. We exist to serve. We exist to make disciples. We exist to help each other, encourage each other, and be there for each other as we live this life together until God takes us home one day where we'll be with him forever. Choose the winning team today. Choose Jesus because we know also, as our song says, he's coming back again. Be ready for his return. Be ready to go home to God the Father when that time comes. We hope that you'll be back with us very soon. We hope that this quarantine will be very short. Please keep praying for each other. Reach out to somebody. Make sure we all have what we need. Be especially mindful of those who are most vulnerable. And be fervently praying for God's intervention. We love you all and God bless.